Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Canada Confessional. I'm Jason Shurkus. Sam is off on permanent assignment. Remember this guy? I like seeing the lakes. I love the lakes. Just something very special here. The Great Lakes, but also all the little inland lakes that, that dot the, uh, uh, the, the parts of Michigan. Um, I love cars. Ah, uh, Mitt Romney. The former Massachusetts governor was never the most impressive political talent. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to... I'm not familiar precisely with exactly what I said, but I stand by what I said, whatever it was. In fact, the two-time presidential candidate's political career is mostly the story of one loss after another, starting with his ill-fated attempt to grab Ted Kennedy's Senate seat back in 1994. Actually, Mitt Romney's election to the Massachusetts governorship in 2002 is really the only election he ever actually managed to win, which means that today's guest is the only person ever to lose to him at the polls. The Democratic candidate for governor, she is the current treasurer, Shannon O'Brien, and a resident of Whitman. You may applaud. Shannon O'Brien had a great resume. She was a state senator, and she was the Massachusetts state treasurer in 2002 when she decided to throw her hat into the ring and run for governor. She won the Democratic primary after a tough fight and would face Romney in the general election. Back then, Mitt was mainly known as a failed Senate candidate, a son of a failed presidential candidate, and as a mega-millionaire private equity investor. Not the most inspiring or sympathetic of profiles, especially in a state as left-leaning as Massachusetts. Shannon felt she had a real chance of beating him. She went after Mitt just as Barack Obama would do 10 years later over his time at Bain Capital. Mitt hit back, attacking O'Brien's husband for his work as a lobbyist for Enron. Things got nasty. Romney ran an ad depicting O'Brien as a sleepy basset hound. Sam and I talked to Shannon over the phone from her home in Massachusetts, and she took us back to that fateful election 15 years ago. She told us all about the political challenges of that race and about the difficulty of running in a state that still, after all these years, has never elected a woman governor. Welcome to Candidate Confessional. Shannon O'Brien had at least one thing in common with Mitt Romney. They both came from political families. It was sort of genetic. Um, my great my great grandfather was the first Democrat elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives in, back in the 1930s, and my dad um, was uh, worked in the uh, Foster Furkle administration in the 1950s and early 60s when I was born, 
and he ran for county commissioner, was county commissioner, and that was my first campaign. I was in fourth grade and, you know, corralled all my girlfriends and boyfriends to work on my dad's campaign and put bumper stickers on cars. And it was, you know, sort of being born into and steeped in a belief that government can make a difference in people's lives. My fourth grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Meisner, she actually predicted I'd be the first lady governor of Massachusetts. Oh, man. And you never, you never once recoiled from it. And you know, like you hear these stories of um, young kids who are like pushed to do athletics early on, and they just can't, can't handle it at a certain age. That never happened to you. When I was in, when I was in high school, um, you know, and I wanted to go out and hang out with my friends. I certainly didn't want to, you know, go out and do political things with my parents. That was the last <laughs> thing I wanted to do. But again, there was not a lot of choice, and you know, I was a kid who, you know, followed orders, so that was okay. But but I always was very proud. Um, of my family's tradition and, 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 and legacy, even though it was a pain in the neck to have to give up a nice fall Sunday afternoon to go do stuff with your mom and dad um, rather than hang out with your friends. What advice did your father give you when you when you began running, or what did you learn from him, you think, from watching him? Um, probably the best advice he ever gave to me, and I'm speaking to, do, to two journalists, is you never have to answer the question that you're asked. <laughs> That's you're, terrible you're, advice. <laughs> terrible. You guys think it's terrible advice. But the point is, you know, people are trying to get you to say certain things, and, you know, it's important that you get your message across, and it's important that you stick to your guns, and, and there's always a way that you can, um, you know, while addressing the question, just make sure that you um, are addressing the issues that are, you know, central to what it is, that the message that you're trying to get across to voters. So you guys might not like that, but that was a problem. I hate we that. Don't, we don't work against that. <laughs> so <laughs> we're voting. We would vote for vote against your dad. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I did enough times to get a man. So, <laughs> so you were... But, which you, was a problem for me. <laughs> I should have listened to him. But anyway. <laughs> so wait, you were like, so you were 43 when you ran for governor, right? 43? That, that's that's how old I am, and I can't imagine running for dog catcher. So I'm wondering, like, where's, I guess because of your history and because of all the stuff that you went through as a child, it was easy for you to do this, but were, were you at all worried about your youth and sort of, were you trepidatious about sort of making that, that leap? I know it's a little, maybe a little different from running for treasure, but maybe it's the same. It's much different than running for treasure. I mean, I can remember, um, you, you, you run for office. Okay, and you kind of think you're a big deal. You know, you've had television ads and, you know, you see yourself on TV and, oh, my God, and and you're really not. Running for treasurer, you know, running for statewide office, not once but twice, um, I think that I understood um, how famous I was, but more importantly, how famous I wasn't, how well-known. Famous is probably a bad word. Um, And when I first came into the treasurer's office, there was um, a significant scandal. You know, we had uncovered the theft of $9 million from the state treasury, and so we were, you know, top of the news package every single night. It was big news, big scandal. Um, you know, we were working hard to clean it up. But when I ran for governor, and I thought that was intense publicity, when I ran for governor, it, it, it is, you know, a factor of 10. It's just so much more um, focus and, um, you know, you can't even move without making a mistake. There's sort of a tough dichotomy that you're bringing up. On the one hand, when you're running for governor, there's all this extra scrutiny where your every move is sort of analyzed. And at the same time, you probably could go into the supermarket and half the people don't even know who you are. There's like this weird disconnect. I, I have one sort of interesting story, and I remember it was, it was in October um, of 2002, and I'd won the primary, and I was on television. And I went into the mall. I had to go pick up something for my daughter, and they'd given me a Sunday afternoon off, which was pretty rare, you know, for a good year and a half. And had 
any Sundays off. And I remembered people were recognizing me and thinking, wow, this is going to really suck. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and it was, it was, um, you know, a realization that, you know, if I win this race, my, my life is really going to be very different in terms of the sort of mundane things that you're used to. But you're also a, 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 a woman running for governor, and I'm wondering, in those early discussions with your strategist, did you uh, discuss how to navigate that, how to talk about that, and how to combat sort of maybe the sexism that was surely going to come? We will, and, and, and it's actually, um, it, it, there was sexism, and it's sort of interesting, and I'm, and I'm trying to remember um, which uh, senator it was, and you guys will probably remember, but she'd been a congresswoman, she um, had twins, and she um, said she was not going to run for office again until um, her, 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 her infant twins were old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, and then a Senate seat opened up, and she ran. And they actually showed me one of the ads um, that she had, which was her speaking into the camera from her kitchen counter, and behind her, her husband was holding the two young toddlers. Now, I had given birth when I was 40 in, you know, my first year um, as state treasurer in 1999. I got elected in 98. And I had a young child at home, too. And I will tell you that, that you would be stunned. I actually still have some of them in my basement in my, you know, sort of, you know, library of old records, but some of the nasty letters that I would get uh, from people who were just attacking me for holding this big job as treasurer and then not staying at home, you know, with my, my young daughter, you know, my baby, Reagan. Give us a sampling. Give us yeah, a sampling well, of what, what they would say. Oh, I mean, I mean, the sampling is, you know, how dare you, you know, go and do this and leave that small child at home. You should be ashamed of yourself, you know. You, 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 and, and, and I mean, I, I, I still, I, I have the letter. I still have it downstairs, something like that. Um, and um, what ended up, you know, what ended up happening is my husband, um, you know, quit his job. Uh, he took care of our daughter and uh, allowed me to, to run for governor, which was a tremendous sacrifice for him. But, you know, that was how we balanced it. But we certainly had to um, be cognizant of that. One of my one of my other favorite anecdotes is um, Halloween was coming up. And um, I can remember the staff in a panic a couple of days before uh, because, you know, oftentimes, you know, the newspapers will, you know, knock on John Kerry's door, you know, and what are he and Teresa Hines handing out for candy? Do they hand out good stuff or do they hand out bad stuff? They I think uh, ketchup packets. Yeah, just ketchup packets probably. <laughs> yeah, no, they get, apparently they give out really big candy. He seems like a guy who hands out a toothbrush, to be honest. <laughs> so... But but they have historically done this with politicians here, you yeah. know, in, in Massachusetts and who hands out the best candy, you know, and they and so not only were we worried about what were Shannon and her husband Emmett going to be handing out for candy, but we had a toddler. Yeah. So, you know, then we had to get me screeching back from two fundraisers that were taking place, one I think in Springfield and one in Worcester, and then I had to come back so I could do the ceremonial walk around our neighborhood and go trick-or-treating with my toddler in her, you know, the first of, you know, multiple princess costumes that she would wear for the next five years. So that was one of those things because we didn't want to be it to be perceived as the fact that I was not being a good mother and taking her on Halloween. Now, I mean, that's sort of like uh, an inherent double standard that you have to deal with as a woman candidate. And you talked a bit about um, what I would say is overt sexism as that you faced as the treasurer. Early on in the campaign, did you face similar acts of sexism or, you know, double standards whereby you just felt like there's no way a male candidate would have to deal with this? Well, I, 
you know, I, I mean, it, 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 it's how you look. You know what I mean? It, it's, 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 there's always sexism about how a woman looks. Um, and women have to, um, you know, I mean, how much more criticism have you seen of Hillary Clinton's outfits than you have of, you know, I mean, obviously people are making fun of Donald Trump's hair. You know, that's, you know, certainly, um, you know, something they've been talking about in terms of his appearance. But I think women have to sort of balance a little bit more how they come across. Women have to work a lot harder at demonstrating their credentials for voters. Did you have to go out and buy a bunch of suits or something? Um, the thing that's hard is, for men, okay, formal is you're wearing a suit. Informal is you take off the suit and take off the tie. Really informal is you take off the tie and roll up the sleeves. Yes. Kind of, you know what I mean? It's sort of like that's, you know, for women, it's do I wear, you know, short sleeves, no sleeves. I mean, remember what, you know, Michelle Obama went through when she started showing her, you know, chiseled arms. <laughs> you really do have to think a little bit more about how you present yourself and, and looking um, gubernatorial or, you know, when I ran for treasurer, looking like, you know, someone who could manage billions of dollars in funds. And so that was, it's a small piece, but it's certainly one that you had to be thinking about. Doesn't sound that small to us. We talked to Michelle Bachman for our last season, and she mentioned that on certain days when she was campaigning for president, she would have to make four outfit changes because she couldn't wear the same thing to an outdoor venue that she wore to a fundraiser and she couldn't do that the same thing to that she wore to a speech. So she, you know, she said sometimes her days were, you know, four hours were spent just on, you know, clothes and making sure she looked fine. Well, I obviously <laughs> I didn't work at it as hard as <laughs> <laughs> After the break, Mitt and Shannon face off on the debate stage. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In our first couple of debates, Mitt Romney did not know what to do with me. And I guess maybe you don't understand who is responsible for issuing the for 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 issuing that debt. So and I absolutely what I did would you promise that you would you let me answer? Of course. Thank I'm you. Sorry. I know you're so excited, but anyway, we've got to, you know. And I think that they and and, and very smartly so um, determined that, you know, I was 
being aggressive, but maybe too aggressive. We filed legislation. We changed the laws so that we could actually save the taxpayers more money. I'm sorry you don't understand that. You know, know, I spent... Now, let's let's not go there. Uh, I've spent my life in finance as well, and I have a pretty good... And that as a woman, you can't cross that line. And, And that is, again, one of the balancing problems that women have. They want you to be tough enough that they know you're not going to get walked over when you're in office. But you can't be too tough because then you're mean or you're, you know, what rhymes with rich. (laughs) That is a very, very difficult thing. And I made a huge mistake in my debate prep, in my final debate, me one-on-one with Mitt Romney. You know, I was... I, I followed my campaign instructions. You know, we had very smart people, you know, nationally known people coming in and talking about it. And it was, this is where you hit him. This is where you hit him. This is where you hit him. When the fact is, what I should have been doing is cooling things down and not attacking him because that didn't play into my strength. It allowed them to turn that narrative around on me that I was too tough, that I was mean. And it's, and it's you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you look back and I go, mm, if I had stick to my original sort of how do you speak, how do you present yourself, how do you um, be a little bit more cool and commanding rather than going after, um, you know, my opponent, I think that it would have been a little bit more helpful. Okay, I, I don't want to get diverted because I want to get to Mitt in a second, but you just made, you prompted an, a thought in my head. Is part of the problem with politicians that they're too overscripted? Maybe you were just, the problem wasn't that you were yourself. I, um, that is what does happen. And what happens after you win a primary is everybody's on board and everybody's got an opinion. And um, it becomes a lot harder and I do think that this is also one of the problems that, that Hillary has sometimes in being overscripted and what, you know, they attack her for using the teleprompter. But someone who has been on the receiving end of incoming for 20 some odd years, you become, you know, that right arm starts to come up and protect you a little bit, yeah. you know? And so I do think that coming across as more genuine is, is really important and you know, the, the the advice that my father gave me, you know, a long time ago keeps you in good stead. However, you know, you have to be very good at answering the question and not, you know, if you constantly deflect, people can kind of look at you. And I think that, you know, sometimes in my final debate, I probably was deflecting exactly as I was trained to do, but it came across as not answering the question. Yeah. Well, so... So let me ask, what was your first impression of Mitt Romney? Well, my first impression was when he ran against Ted Kennedy. I believe that abortion should be safe and legal in this country, and I sustain and support that law and the right of a woman to make that choice. I have supported the Roe v. Wade. I am pro-choice. My opponent is multiple choice. I remember one television reporter breathlessly coming up to me um, you know, saying, asking me the question, what is it like to run against, you know, an icon? I'm an icon. So, okay, you know, I, I wasn't breathless. I thought he was beatable. And, you know, and, and as we went through the course of the campaign, I, I did think he was beatable. I, I'm sure he had already gotten icon status. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, I don't that understand quick. that at no, all. The Bane stuff in the Olympics, right? 
Yeah, but then, like, he, I mean, he did get his ass kicked. I mean, Kennedy beat him. Yeah. And then I wonder his why. Was oh, I guess the Olympics was the issue. Olympics, yeah. um, what did right. you think of him as a campaigner? I mean, he was doing, you mentioned these commercials that he would cut where, just for the reader's uh, own knowledge, he would take on these sort of, like, everyday man jobs. Here's my dream for Massachusetts. I want this to be a place of opportunity with the best schools and the best jobs. And show that he was, you know, flinging sausages at Fenway and picking up the trash and stuff like that. They totally seemed a little out, They seemed a little <laughs> out of place, I would yeah. say. Um, did that give you a sense that he was a bad campaigner? No. I mean, the ad that really um, kind of, you know, put him a little off kilter was the ad that they had him in a bathing suit um, in the lake at Lake Winnipesaukee, you know, looking handsome and fit, way fitter than I'd ever been in my life. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't get on TV, you know, in a bathing suit, that's for sure. Um, but that ad just annoyed people, and it, and it looked like a leave-it-to-beaver, you know, kind of perfect family. This and where he's it, throwing his kids in the water and having fun, yeah. Yeah, and that actually backfired. I don't really think that the everyman... Um, and, and this is also sort of getting back to who you really are, and it's also, you know, I think that what hurt him in the, the presidential race the last time is authenticity is important. And, and people, you know, people can look at, you know, Donald Trump, and they like authentic. He can be all sorts of other terrible things, but being authentic and being real, it's like they like that. I mean, I just saw this cartoon Yesterday, someone said it to me, and it's this picture of a, a cat, and he's got a suit on, and the poster says, I will eat you, and there are all these little mice going, hm, at least he speaks his mind. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I don't think he was seen as authentic. Well, and then the media sort of turned it around, and they went after your husband, and he went after your husband, and I'm wondering, did that surprise you, and... I mean, do you remember the day when your husband sort of got that newspaper in the morning? That was particularly difficult. You know, my husband and I, um, you know, we were um, we were legislators together. You know, I fell in love with him, you know, when we were working, you know, on a number of different issues side by side. He was the author of a, you know, big important piece of legislation that helped clean up the Boston Harbor and, you know, did a lot of work, you know, both on, on, on health care and, and uh, you know, construction issues in Massachusetts and transportation issues, brought the trains back to Southeastern Mass. Good guy. And and, and, and one of the things I loved about him was his integrity. And he had been for, you know, a number of years after he left the legislature, he did some lobbying on energy issues, on transportation issues, on water and sewer issues, a lot of the things that he had been, you know, expert in when he was a legislator. And um, one of the uh, clients that he had was Enron. Now, when he, ha- I, I literally can remember waking up one morning and saying, wow, that's great. You got Enron as a client. Can't oh, you get man. five more of those? <laughs> <laughs> your, your judgment was off there. The ad against your husband um, was, is often credited as being sort of one of the more critical points in the race. Is, would you say that that's an accurate depiction? It's critical. And again, there's so much information. But when I was treasurer and this sort of, you know, backing it up, I got into office in January of 1999, and within three weeks, Valentine's Day, thereabouts, we found out that there had been a theft of $9 million out of the state treasury, okay? So we not only, you know, worked to uncover this and who stole the money, and, you know, we went after this, we found, you know, corruption that had also been taking place at the state lottery. I mean, you know, we also found out that under my predecessor, they weren't paying taxes the right way. I mean, there were all of these just, just huge problems that were going on at a poorly managed 
manage state treasury, did a great job. The problem is, day in and day out, and I managed being in the A package every day, there's this general sense that there was corruption in the treasury. So now, four years later, they literally ran ads against me. Was this when you were portrayed as a dog? Yes, yeah, the, the basset hound. hound, the basset yeah. hound. Within the campaign in real time, when that ad aired, was there a decision to make a response ad, or how are we going to combat this? You know, it's, it's. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, criticizing it, I don't remember the specific response ad. You know, I, 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 I'm sure that we, you know, did mention the, the, you know, the connection. I mean, this was one of the places where um, we, we, I disagreed with some of my political consultants. And I remembered, you know, later on speaking to, you know, a couple of other people that, you know, they thought that we should have um, made stronger arguments against Romney, basically having the Joe Malone team, the, the, the corrupt administration mm. that I had cleaned up after. And this was the team, you know, a good chunk of the team that was running the Romney campaign. But, you know, a lot of people didn't think that that would stick. Um, I, you know, I thought it was pretty meaningful, but, um, you know, you know, not everybody, you know, you, you kind of make these decisions um, together with your team, and that wasn't considered um, something that they thought we could, you know, we could do successfully. Gotcha. The other, the other big um, turning point, at least as it's portrayed, was the debate with Romney, um, where uh, Tim Russert was the moderator. And I, I guess I, I, I'm just confused at how this became such a controversy. But the word "unbecoming," as used to describe you, kind of blew up. Can you tell us about how, how this all went down? And welcome to the final gubernatorial debate. So, so, so. Russell, I thought, was being pretty, um, was being, you know, pretty tough with me during the debate. You have to find $2 billion in reductions over the next several years. Um, and had started, um, you know, posing questions. We talked a lot about abortion, um, and that was a defining, you know, issue. And I, you know, was, was hitting Romney pretty hard on the fact that he, you know, he had been endorsed by Mass Citizens for Life. Why did you accept the endorsement you know, there are a lot of, of the Mass Citizens me. for Life? I, I don't know about the endorsement of the Mass you, Citizens for Life. I didn't seek it. And, you know, I said, you, you accepted the endorsement of the Mass Citizens for Life, yet you're saying that you're pro-choice. And then he's looking at me saying... Uh, I didn't say that. I didn't accept it. When you say I accept it, in what way did I accept it, Shannon? And I said, well, your spokesperson did, Eric Fernstrom. He accepted the endorsement. Your, your spokesperson stated that you accepted their endorsement. I don't know what you're talking you know, So, So I was kind of kidding him on that. And, you know, and then he turned to me and he said, you're being most unbecoming. And your effort to continue to try and create fear and deception here is unbecoming. It's an issue that's important. I'm, now, you know... That's not one of those things that, that really strikes a chord with me. But at that point in time, because, you know, we were pushing the issue that he was being a phony on choice, that a lot of women's groups really reacted to that. I, and again, it's one of those things that there's so many people involved in a campaign at the end. I personally didn't think that it was something that we should be stressing or pushing because I thought it deflected from the real issues that we should be talking at the end, but you can't control every tentacle of your own campaign that, that is moving forward. Um, and, and, you know, there were a few women's groups that, you know, made a big statement that he was being sexist. Um, you know, a lot of that gender politics, um, it doesn't always help the woman. You know what I mean? It doesn't always, um, I think, play in, in a woman's favor, and, and I not only was unbecoming, but I was 110% right, because the moment he got elected governor, he flipped his position on abortion, he changed his position on gay rights. 
when did when, well, let me ask you when did you um when did you get the sense that you were actually going to lose the race was it after that election debate? night election night because you were up i mean you were up pretty significantly in the, in the beginning of october i think maybe by 12 points and then started to slide i'm wondering was it before so it was election night then it was you know i had been down you know as many as 12 or 14 points right after the primary i was up by 12 points and then you know, by the end of October, you know, it it had tightened up. It, you know, I was up a point a day. He was up a point the next day. It was very, very tight. The day the primary ends, I'm out of money. I have to start, you know, I literally went dark on television for a week, two weeks. And so, you know, and unlike Mitt Romney, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I live in a little cul-de-sac in a little, you know, middle-class town. You know, I'm not a wealthy person. I can't, you know, write a check for $5 million and, and then spend my time in a sound booth, you know, practicing my gestures and my, my, my speaking voice. I had to go out and do three, four, sometimes five fundraisers a day. And so that is one of the, probably the biggest problem. You can go back and forth about, you know, abortion or you know, did she yelled too much or did she do this or was she unbecoming or that but the real issue was i got outspent close to three to one in the final weeks of the campaign i didn't have enough money um to do uh targeted mailings to maybe special interest groups to to appeal to them on you know maybe single you know issues that that might have um you know excited them to to go to the polls that was the biggest thing. Bigger, big, bigger than gender. I mean, Massachusetts had never elected a, and still hasn't elected a female governor. I mean, that was a huge historical burden, right? You know, it, 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 it's it's a mixed blessing. And again, I, I I I look at the Barbara Lee Family Foundation research. You know, it 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 can help you in certain places, but more more likely than not, a woman has to work harder to credential herself. You know, when, when you, you, you look at who's been governors before, who's been president before, there haven't been, you know, any women presidents, not as many women governors. So you're sort of pushing up against the preconceived notion that people have of what a leader looks like, what a governor looks like. You have to work harder to put yourself in people's minds. And even harder in Massachusetts for a Democratic woman, our party has been so successful. They dominate the House and the Senate, that people want balance. Ultimately, Massachusetts is not a Democrat or Republican state. It's an independent state. And they repeatedly elect Democrats to the House and the Senate overwhelmingly, but they like a little balance. They like a moderate Republican in there to just put their thumb on the scale and keep the Democrats from running rampant. And that is you know, and that and that has been, you know, proven true in a number of different elections. That and that I think to me was the, the toughest you know, hit on me is, you know, having the House, the Senate, and the governor's office in Democratic hands, not a smart thing for voters. And that, I think, was the most um, damaging line of attack that Romney, um, you know, waged against me. That was Shannon O'Brien, 2002 Massachusetts gubernatorial candidate. Candidate Confessional is produced and edited by Zach Young, who also wrote our theme music. If you're enjoying this season of the show, please continue to spread the word. Next week, another story from 2002. We're joined by two U.S. senators, one current, one former, to talk about their fight against the Iraq War authorization. See you then.
Can you sing that song? I love that song. You know that song? Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains' majesty above the fruited plain. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.